Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. of ours, man, we just want to say welcome, thank you so much for being here, no, we don't sing Green Day every week, um, we try to reserve that for every other week, um, and, and we want to welcome everybody showing up online, can we just welcome everybody who's tuning in online right now, uh, all over the world, people showing up for our service, and it's just an awesome tool that we uh, get to use to continue to uh, just encourage people and present the gospel all over the world right now, and so um, if you're new today, if it's your first time with us, uh, like you heard, it's our last time here, don't show up here next week. Uh, we've been out of our home all summer long as we've been doing earthquake repair and remodeling to the facility, and so we are moving back next week. We're super excited about it. If you show up at the high school next week, it is going to be lonely, so all two of you can hang out, or um, you can join us at our facility um, on Brooks Loop, and so we want to invite you guys to come be part of our service next week, and they're going to be the same times, 9 and 11, so show up next week for that. We're, we're so excited to get back into our building, and what's crazy is, like, we're talking about it as a staff, it's like, there's people in this room uh, that you've been part of ACF all summer long, and all you have known is the high school, and so it's just, it's really exciting that we get to move back into our facility now and continue to move forward with what we believe God's calling us to do. About this summer, we've been walking through a series called Who Needs Church? And what we've been talking about is, and we kind of started out this whole series saying, man, God came and he died for this thing. Jesus came to earth and he died for the church he calls it his bride that he loves so much. And yet today in our culture, not just here but all over the world, it seems that church is becoming more and more irrelevant. That people seem to need it, they think that they need it less and less. So we've been walking through this series called Who Needs Church? And really all we've been doing, if you haven't caught on by now, is we've been walking through the book of Acts. 
And uh, I want to encourage you, if you've not been reading through the book of Acts with us, you can start today. It's okay. You start today. We have uh, out in our gauge table, we have like um, uh, bookmarks uh, with a reading plan on it. Grab those. Start today. But we've been walking through the book of Acts. And, and what the book of Acts actually is, is it's the writings of Luke. And he was part of this movement. And the book of Acts is like our origin story as a church. And where we come from as, as a church of believers, where we're from, and it's written all out in the book of Acts of how we started. And it's been an, an insane journey so far. Like it starts, it really, the church begins with the words of Jesus in Acts 1-8 when he says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he says, look, you're going to go all over the wor world carrying this message but he says, don't go anywhere yet. Like, I'm going to empower you to do this. And 50 days later, the Holy Spirit shows up. And it changes everything. It changes world history when the Holy Spirit shows up. And, and it empowers these men and these women to go and to present the gospel. And all of a sudden, God's doing all these miracles within the church. And thousands upon thousands of people are coming to the faith. Thousands of people are coming to Jesus, and they're doing these crazy things like taking care of each other. I know, it's like mind-blown, like they're serving each other, they're selling everything they have, and, and they're making sure that nobody has any needs whatsoever. And then there's this pivotal moment in, in church history, and it's written down in, in the book of Acts. Peter, who's, who's kind of one of the founders of this thing, he has this vision, and this vision changes everything. He has this vision where these animals come down and God tells them to eat the animals but the problem is for the Jewish culture they're unclean animals and Peter's like ah God I know what you're trying to do to me you're testing me I'm not going to eat the animals you can't I'm not going to fail this test you can't get me and God says no 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 Peter you're going to eat these animals you're not going to call unclean what I am now calling clean and it, this vision uh, was representing the fact that I am not just going to be for the Jewish people anymore. That I am coming for the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, you are. It's a non-Jewish person. And so God says, it's no longer just for the Jews. My blessing, uh, my redemption, this is not just for the Jews. This is for everybody. And this, this changes everything. This blows the minds of the Jewish leaders. Like, no, this cannot be. It cannot be for the Gentiles. And Peter's like, I know, I thought the same thing. But God told me, and all of a sudden we see the Holy Spirit having these encounters with non-Jews. And we first see it with Cornelius. And he gets empowered by the Holy Spirit. And him and his whole family get saved. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And this church history, it continues on. And, and all of a sudden, you know, people have all these needs. And so the elect uh, of men to kind of handle the daily distribution of the needs of the people. And one of these people that they hire, his name's Stephen. And Stephen's going to be serving people. And, and he's preaching the gospel wherever he goes. And, and he kind of meets people who come against him. And they're like, no, 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 you, 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 you're teaching the wrong thing. It is not about Jesus but the Holy Spirit has like empowered his teaching and so they can't refute him. Every angle they come against, he just like knocks them down with the truth of the word. And so they take him to court actually and, and, and they, 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 they lie about what he's saying. But they take him to court and the court says, look, these charges are made against you. These charges are, carry a penalty of death. How do you plea? And he's like, I plead that you're missing Jesus. And they don't like that very much. 
and, and in an attempt to kill this thing, in an attempt to squash this movement, and at the time it was called the way, in an attempt to, to crush the way, to crush this movement of Jesus, they kill Stephen. And then, and then this guy named Saul starts going around, and he's literally kicking in doors of people that he hears are followers of the way, and he drags them out, men and women, and, and puts them in prison and, and executes them. And, and as they're doing this, they're trying to do it to crush this movement, but it backfires on them. See, what happens is all these Christians, they disperse, they leave Jerusalem, and they go all over the world. And what they do is they, they take the good news with them. They take the gospel with them, and they don't stop talking about it. They don't stop preaching about it. So now, people all over the world are starting to hear the gospel. Churches are being planted all over the known world at the time. And, and, and the church is exploding with people. And this guy named Saul, who, who helped lead the way in killing Stephen and, and, and taking Christians and ripping them out of their homes, he has an actual encounter with Jesus. And Jesus is like, um, Paul, yeah, you're wrong, right? Like, it's, it's all about me. It's, it's not about what you're trying to do here. And so he becomes this radical follower of Jesus, and his name gets changed to Paul. And he starts getting ready to do this missionary journey. And so we've, we're in Acts 15 today, and Acts 15 is the end of this missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas have been on. And what they've been doing is they've traveled about 500 miles they travel about 500 miles, and they're just going from church to church to church to church, just encouraging the believers, saying, stay strong to the faith, keep doing what you're doing, keep telling people about the gospel, like God's at work, and you should hear what's happening over here, and you should hear what's happening over there, God is at work. And, and they're wrapping up their missionary journey, and they end up in this church in Antioch, is kind of where they started the missionary journey at. And so, I want to read we're going to start in acts chapter one you can read along this is where we're going to pick up today and we're going to pick up where what happens when they get to the church in antioch acts 15 verse one but some of the men came down from judea and were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the customs of moses you cannot be saved after paul and barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them paul and barnabas and some of the others who were, appoint, uh, were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So what's going on here, what we, what we stumble into is Paul and Barnabas, they get back from their missionary journey and there's people in the church and they're teaching the Gentiles, look, I know you think you're saved, but you're not saved. There's still a few more things you have to do. You have to be circumcised and you have to follow the customs and the laws of Moses then you can be saved. And I love what it says here. It says that Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension amongst them. That they debated with them. In other words, yeah, they had it out. It was a, a knockdown, drag out, yelling match in church. I mean, can you just imagine that? Someone gets up and starts teaching here and they're teaching something that Pastor Brian says is wrong and so he just gets up and starts screaming at him, no! And this is what's going on here because they're so passionate about this. Paul and Barnabas. They're like, you guys are wrong. They do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to follow the law of Moses. See, what was happening and why the, these Jewish people were teaching this was because um, people are coming to Jesus. These Greeks are coming to Jesus. These, these non-Jews, these Gentiles are coming to the faith and they're coming out of like pagan backgrounds. They're coming from idol worship. They're coming from all sorts of stuff that's not Judaism. 
they have not spent their whole lives trying to follow the law and honor the, the, the moral law and the ceremonial law. They've not tried to do that at all, which the Jews had been trying to do since their very beginning. And so these Jews are going, look, you're coming from paganism, you don't get this, that's bad, I know you're a follower of Jesus now, but there's some more stuff that you have to do. And so Paul and Barnabas, they get into this argument, this fight with them about this, and so they finally, they say, okay, here's the deal, we're going to go to Jerusalem and we'll talk about this. But what the, in, in church history, this becomes known as the Council of Jerusalem. They say, okay, we're going to go to like the mother, the mother church, the church where all the apostles are hanging out in, the, the church where like Peter's at and James, the brother of Jesus, at. We're going to go talk to them. And this becomes known in church history as the Council of Jerusalem. And this really, this council changes everything for us today. What they talk about then and what they decide then still affects us to this very day. And so I want to look at what they talk about. But really, they go to Jerusalem with two questions in mind. And we're going to talk about these two questions. They, they, they head off to Jerusalem to get guidance, and they're, they're bringing with them two questions. And the first question that they're asking is this. Is the gospel enough? Is the gospel enough? That's the first question that they ask. Now, but I don't know about you, but I am a child of the 90s. I was born in the 80s, but I was forged in the 90s, if you couldn't tell by singing Green Day today. Now, I grew up in this Christian home, and I am so grateful for the background that I got to grow up in. I grew up in a very amazing, strong Christian home. Uh, my parents, uh, when they got married, they were not saved. They had a kind of a radical conversion moment, um, and years later, I was born, and so I was raised in a Christian home. And throughout the 80s and into the 90s, the church kind of started to do this thing where it was just going the exact opposite of culture. Wherever culture went, church is going, we're going the opposite way of this. Because they saw the culture deteriorating at a rapid rate. And they went, we, we can't be part of this. We, ha we have to be so different than this. You know, things like MTV was like exploding at the time. And, and Viacom was just in everything in culture. And so the church was like, the, the answer is to go the complete opposite direction of this. And so this is the kind of the Christianity that I was raised in, in the home and the churches that I was a part of were, were, were along the lines of this. Now, it came with the best of intentions. It really came with the best of intentions. I understand the intention uh, of it, but what was going on where like when I was in youth group, man, we were going to youth rallies, we were going to things like Acquired the Fire, we were going to like purity conferences and like creation fests and all this stuff. But what was being taught was not exactly the gospel. It was what I like to call the gospel plus. So like when I was growing up in church, what I was taught was like, hey, don't go to parties, don't watch MTV, right? Don't watch rated R movies. Don't listen to music that's not Christian. Like, don't do any of those things, and that's how everyone will know you're saved, right? That's how you maintain your salvation. Like, yes, the gospel is important. The gospel saves you, but you stay saved through moralism or something that people like to call moral deism is, is like serving the God of morals. Like, the God of morals is what's going to keep you saved, and so this is, this is the culture that I was raised in. And, and again, I, I understand like the desire for it, but at the same time, what we were being taught was 
gospel plus. Gospel plus. And it's the same thing that these men were trying to teach the church um, in Antioch. They're saying, look, you said yes to Jesus, that's great, but it's gospel plus. And since then, we've been doing the same thing. It's gospel plus. And so for me, being raised in, in church in the 90s, it was gospel plus. It was gospel plus, don't do these things, don't do those things. I remember like one of the rules in my house was like rated R movies are sin. Rated R movies equal sin. Anybody else raised in a rated R movies equal sin home? That was me. And so I never watched a rated R movie my entire time in, through school when I lived at that house. I never watched a rated R movie. But I remember I graduated at 17. Just like a week later, I moved back over to Seattle. And the first thing I wanted to do, there was a movie that was rated R that I wanted to watch so bad. And all my Christian friends got to see this movie too. So, first of all, I'm a better Christian than them because I didn't watch it. And then I decided, okay, the first thing I'm doing when I move out of mom and dad's house is I'm watching this movie. Now, I missed it in the theater, so I had to get it on VHS, but I was pumped. And so I remember I moved to Seattle, and it was like the very next day, my friends from Seattle were like, all right, what do you want to do? I'm like, we are watching The Matrix. I am watching The Matrix. I've missed out on this for long enough. It just, I just missed the theaters with it. I'm watching The Matrix. Sorry, Mom, if you're watching live. I did. I did. And, and I loved it. <laughs> and it, it, it was just this idea of, look, these are the rules. we got to follow them if we're going to be followers of Jesus. And if you don't follow them, then either you're not a follower of Jesus or at least you're not a very good follower of Jesus. But it's about the rules. And I'll never forget, just a few years later, like, just the moral dilemma I remember watching my mother go through, which just made me smile so much, when there was a rated R movie that came out that she wanted to watch. It was called The Passion of the Christ. And I'm like, she's telling me, oh, we're going to go see The Passion. And I'm like, really? So you're watching rated R movies now too, Mom, huh? Well, no, 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 this one's different. It's about Jesus. I'm like, can Jesus really be in a rated R movie? I don't know, because that sounds like sin to me. But the realization that, I mean, we all went through it. If you were raised in, in, in this church culture, like my parents went through it, I went through it. Like the realization like, oh, wait, it, there's more to, to, to salvation just, just as rules than this moral deism that we're trying to follow. Like the gospel is enough. It's, it's enough to save us and it's enough to keep us. It's not just about following the rules. And the problem with this is the problem that this generated. And, and honestly, the problem that started all the way back to this church in Antioch was that there's people in this room. I said, how many were you know, raised in this home? But there's many of you guys in this room that were going, yeah, that's why I stopped going to church. Right? It was all about just doing right. It was all about just the morals. It was all about the Ten Commandments. And, and, and at ACF, we love to say we are a church for the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. And there's people in this room that are de-churched because of this moralistic deism that you were taught. Like, just do right, and then God will be pleased with you. Like, just do right, and then you will stay saved. But the problem is, which we all know, is we just can't do right all the time. No matter how hard we try. And so there's many of you in this room that went, yeah, church tried it, 
No thanks. Christianity tried it, didn't work. And maybe you're coming back for the first time even today or just watching online today going, I don't know, maybe I'll try this thing. Maybe you're at a place in life where you're like, I need to try something. I'll try church again. And I hope what you do not find is moralistic deism again because that doesn't work. Of course it didn't work the first time because it doesn't work. It is the gospel and that is it. It is not the gospel plus and so for so many of you in this room, you're, you would fall in that de-church category because you were taught, just look really good. And if things are a mess at the house, just make sure nobody knows about it. Like for me, I remember like being in high school going, I have to be perfect because that's how my friends are going to come to know Jesus, right? I have to be perfect so that they can come to know Jesus. People don't want to see your problems, Josh. People don't want to know about your problems. They want to know about your perfection. That'll save them. That'll save them. Don't be real. Don't let them see behind the mask. Just let them see how God has made you perfect. And, and so many people have carried that burden and that weight. And some of you guys are like, yeah, that's not for me. And then there's other people in the room who, who we say you'd fall into unchurched category. And maybe you just said, yeah, no to church. Because I know those people that go to church and they pretend like they are perfect and I know that they are not. And I just don't want any part of that. And again, going all the way back to this Acts 15, this is what they're trying to teach them. It's about the gospel plus. It's not just about the gospel. But the problem is, it's all about the gospel. That is what it is all about, is that we have to understand that what saves us is the gospel, what keeps us is the gospel. It is not the gospel plus. And when we start making it about the gospel plus, we start adding to what Jesus did on the cross. And, and we do it for so many reasons, and I think one of the reasons we do it is out of fear, because we're afraid, like, is the gospel strong enough? Like, is the Holy Spirit strong enough to continue to transform my soul, to continue to transform my child or my neighbor or my wife or my husband or my coworker? Like, can the gospel be enough to change them or do we need to lay down some ground rules for them to follow perfectly to so make sure that they don't, you know, fall off the cliff somewhere? And, and we do it a lot of times out of fear and we try to manipulate situations or people or even ourselves. Because we're saying, no, the gospel is not enough. And when the gospel becomes not enough for us, we have to keep on all this stuff. And, and it becomes unbearable. But these rules, these rules will keep us safe. And that's what these, these people to the church in Antioch, they're like, no, no, you need to follow the rules. Like, you've got to follow the rules if you're going to be saved. It, it, they said, you are not saved yet. First, follow the rules. First, follow the rules. But you guys, you see, it's all about the gospel. And if I can't say that enough this morning... See, you need to know the gospel. You need to know it in your heart and in your mind and your soul. And that be the very thing that motivates you, that drives you in the morning when you wake up is the gospel. What you need is, is to show your friends the gospel. They need to see the truth of the gospel in you. What you need is to teach your children the gospel. They need to see the gospel lived out in you every day. What you need to do is teach your roommates the gospel, to teach your classmates the gospel. Like that is what it is about. See, all things, all things in church are not all about the gospel per se. They're not, or I should, let me rephrase that. All things are not necessarily gospel, like in our lives, like we live our daily lives, and not everything is necessarily gospel, but all things should lead to gospel, for sure. All things we do should lead to gospel. 
And what is this gospel? What am I talking about? Maybe you're unfamiliar with the gospel. Maybe you've been raised in the church your whole life, and you're not really sure what the gospel is. You know what moralism is, but you don't know what the gospel is. And simply put, I like the way that Matt Chandler kind of explains this. I was doing a bunch of reading on just like, man, what, what's just the simplest form to understand the gospel? And, and, and it, it, he says it like this, that the gospel is this. First of all, the word gospel just means good news. That's all it means, good news. That there is good news for you, there's good news for me, that there's good news. And this is that good news, that God's love is active. And God showed his love proved his love through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That that is gospel. That is the good news, that God loves you, and he proved that he loved you through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that knowledge is enough to save your soul. And that knowledge is enough to keep you in the arms and in the the life of Jesus. It is not gospel plus that that is enough I love John 3.17. Now, John 3.16 is, I would argue, the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But John 3.17 says this, The son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That Jesus didn't come just to condemn you in your sin. We already stand condemned. We don't need Jesus condemning us. That Jesus came to save you. He didn't come to condemn. And that is the good news. That God loves you. And even in your broken state, even in your mess, that God loves you. The good news is this. You are not awesome. Good news today, church. You're not awesome and neither am I. Because when we have to be awesome, and that's daunting. Right, when we have to be awesome, that is so tiring. And that is so exhausting to have to be awesome to keep our salvation. To have to be awesome for God to love us. Oh, i got to keep doing this thing, otherwise God's not going to love me anymore. You can't live that way. That's not freedom. That's not freedom in Christ. To have to keep performing and performing and performing and being awesome. No, the good news is you're not awesome, but Jesus is, and he did it for you. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And, and, and I get it. I get it. What about the law, Josh? Like, what about this thing? Like, aren't we supposed to live a certain way? Aren't we supposed to do a certain thing? Yes. Yes. The law is good. Paul tells us that the law is good. But here's the thing we need to realize. The law isn't something you do to receive salvation. And scripture actually tells us the law is something you get crushed by to show you your need for salvation. The law is not something you do for salvation. It is something that kind of crushes us. You look at that and go, I can't do that. Exactly. That's the point. You can't do it. I can't do it. No one in human history has ever been able to do it outside of Jesus. And he did it for you. He kept the law for you. So now you get to receive the work that he has already done. God's love in action shown to you by the life, the the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. And yes, you know what? Sometimes we need to do a little work. 
Absolutely. Sometimes we need to do a little work. The Holy Spirit starts working on our heart, working on our soul, convicting our hearts of choices we're making in this world. Starts working on us. And yes, we have responsibility to move in that conviction. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is to convict the world of its sin. Not to condemn the world of the sin, but to convict the world of its sin. So yeah, there are times when it's like, man, I'm battling this, Josh. I got this desire in me that is not from God, and I'm, I'm battling it. I'm working at it. The Holy Spirit's at work in my heart. The Holy Spirit's at work in my soul, and I'm fighting this thing. And that's called the process of sanctification. It's a beautiful thing. And all that means is that you are being made to look more and more like Jesus. And it's a process that we'll go through for the rest of our lives. But it's through the gospel. It's not through your good works. It's not through your gritting it out, white-knuckling it out. Because again, like I said, that's not freedom in Christ. That's like a burden you have to bury. See, it, listen to this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Listen to this. I love this scripture. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that anyone can boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, it is saved by grace through faith for works. That's the sequential order that's laid out there. Saved by grace through faith for works. Do we have things we're supposed to be doing? Absolutely. But is that for our salvation? Absolutely not. In fact, it's, it's third down in this passage. It's, hey, you are saved by grace. It's through your faith that Jesus is Lord. And now we have these works that God has laid out for us that we're going to walk into. But so often what we do is we reverse it. And what these men were doing to the church in Antioch, they were, they were reversing it. And, and we, oftentimes we live it out like this, that we are saved by works for faith in what is grace. And so often we live it out. It's like, yes, by my works, I'm going to do enough good deeds. That's going to save me. Why do I do that? I do that for the faith. Now people can know that I'm a Christian. Now God will look good because of my good deeds. And I have no idea what grace is. And we got to get our minds back to understanding it is not the gospel plus but it is all about the gospel. And this is the question that was being brought to Jerusalem. This is the first question that's being brought to the council. The first council of Jerusalem is, is the gospel enough? Or is it the gospel plus? So Paul and Barnabas, they, they head to Jerusalem. They bring this question to the uh, apostles, to the elders of the church. And, and so they ask this question. And now we're going to jump in in uh, Acts uh, 15 verse 7 we're going to start there so they get to Jerusalem and they tell they tell the first of all they, they tell the council of all the good works that God's been doing and then they jump right into the debate and it says after there had been much debate Peter stood up and said to them brothers you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 
but we believe that we have been saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So Peter's the first one to stand up in this council, and he says, look, you guys, it was by my mouth that the Gentiles heard about the salvation that's there for them. It's by my mouth that they heard about God, and the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius, and that dude was no Jew. That dude was pagan, and yet the Holy Spirit falls on him. And then I love what Peter says. He's like, why are you putting God to the test? Like, who do you think you are? You're trying to make these Gentiles do things that you couldn't do, your mama couldn't do, your grandmama couldn't do, right? He goes like, no one's been able to keep this law, and yet you're telling them they have to keep it. Yeah, that's rich. That's a good one. I don't think so. And I love this council's going on, and you see just Paul and Silas like, it's our turn. Are we ready to talk? It's like team preaching going on here. Because next thing you know, just Paul and, uh, or, sorry, Paul and Barnabas just jump right into the conversation. And it says, all the assembly fell silent as they listened to, to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So again, Paul and Barnabas are just backing up what Peter's saying. They're like, yeah, we're preaching to the Gentiles. They're not following the law of Moses and the Holy Spirit's falling on them. Like, what more do you want? And then James, the brother of Jesus, steps in. He kind of finalizes this whole debate. And it says, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, who is also known as Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for his name. And with this, wor- <clears throat> and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins. And I will restore it. The remnant of of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So what James says is, look, Peter spoke to the Gentiles. They got the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas are teaching to the Gentiles, they're getting the Holy Spirit. But this goes way beyond that. This goes back to the beginning. We knew God says, I'm going to be rebuild, and, and, and James starts quoting the prophets. And he says, this goes all the way back. We knew God said this was going to be for the Gentiles, and now we're actually seeing it lived out. And then James continues, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from, and from blood. Uh, for from the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he, for he is, this has been read on every Sabbath in the synagogue. So this crazy kind of ending to what James says. In other words, James says, look, we've known from the beginning that God is going to call the Gentiles, so let's write to them and tell them that they don't have to follow the law of Moses. Now let's tell them what laws they need to follow. Kind of weird. It's like, wait, what's going on here? Why would James tell them, look, they don't have to follow the law of Moses, but now let's give them a few laws that they have to follow. If it's salvation by grace through faith, if it's not gospel plus, what's, what's going on right here? Well, if you remember at the beginning, I said there's two questions they're bringing to the council. Not one. The first question is, is it gospel plus? 
or is it just the gospel? Here's the second question. If it is just the gospel, how do we as Jews have communion? How do we as Jews have relationship? How do we have, as Jews have fellowship with the, with the Gentiles? Because they're eating their steaks medium rare and we don't do that. They're eating their meat and it's got blood in it and that is absolutely unacceptable for us. How can we go over for a dinner when we get invited? You see, the second question that they're asking is, how do we have unity? How do we have unity? They understand that unity is important in the church. In fact, it's the very thing that Jesus said, like, this is how they're going to know you're my disciples, is if you love one another, if there is unity. So if there's freedom in all these things, how are we supposed to have unity? Because what you read there at the end is this weird thing where he says, like, since the beginning, Moses has commanded that these things get proclaimed every Sabbath. So once a week, they were taught, don't eat meat with blood in it. Every week, they were taught, don't eat meat that's been strangled. Every week, they were taught, don't eat meat offered to idols for thousands of years. You think that might be ingrained in their soul a little bit? You think that's just a light switch they can turn off? It is not. Now this had, now that Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's rose again, this, this, this has nothing to do with salvation. All of this was pointing to Jesus, and now that Jesus has come, it's been fulfilled, but you don't just turn that off. And so they're like, how do we have unity? How do we do this? And so what James is proposing is that even in their freedom, that they will restrain from some things. Even in their freedom, they're going to just, 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 just order it well done. Just order it well done. Like there's freedom. You don't have to, but for the sake of unity, that we would, would fight to do these things, to serve one another, to honor each other. You see, so often, especially in our culture, we are just so ready to fight for our rights. Like, this is my right. I'm going to do it. This is my right. I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to order my steak, medium rare, right? I don't have to do these things. No, you, you really don't. I have the freedom. I have the right to not. But yet, for the sake of unity, can I lay down some of my freedoms to serve my brothers and my sisters? To serve each other for unity within the church? Can we do this? So the same two questions they were asking so long ago. They're the same questions we have to ask ourselves today. Is the gospel enough? Is it enough for you? Is it enough for your coworker, for your, for your child, for your roommate? Is, is it enough? Or is it gospel plus? And the second part is if the gospel is enough, how do we keep unity? How do we keep unity when these people over here just, man, they just... They live this way, and honestly, they're not living necessarily in complete freedom, but the Holy Spirit's working in their heart, in their lives, and, and this is the way that they understand the gospel and, and God, and they're working it out, their salvation, but how do I, who maybe see freedom in other areas, go, okay, I'm going to love you well, and I'm just going to lay down that freedom right now. Like, am I willing to do that, really, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of unity within the church? Because this is it. This is our family. And are we willing to love each other in this way? How does one person go from 
seeing something that's complete freedom and, and being with someone that sees that same thing as complete defilement in their life? The answer is unity. And so, church, ACF, I just, I have this vision for us, right? Like, we believe as leaders here of ACF and as the pastors and the elders, man, we are, we are so excited for this next just kind of stage that we believe God is calling us into. We believe, man, that God is just laying and burning in our hearts, Acts 1-8, that we would all be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we believe that God is calling us to have our Brooks Loop building where we're going to all meet next week is this type of base camp where from there ministry will happen. From there, we'll, we'll see marriages healed. We'll see people um, getting their finances in order and not just a, a wreck. We'll see people going out on mission. We'll see people serving their community. But if it's not gospel-centric, if it's not all through the lens of the gospel, then it, honestly, it doesn't matter. And we believe that God is calling us to a time a new season in this where there's just going to be a new outpouring of, man, that this Acts 1-8 mission, it has just been burning in our hearts. But it can't happen without unity. It doesn't happen in dissension. And it's got to be all about the gospel. And so ACF Church, our church, our kind of tribe here, like, I, I was just writing this, and I was thinking as I was writing, I was like, man, just having this vision, like, what if, what if ACF Church lived a gospel-centric life, not gospel plus, but live a gospel-centric life, salvation, by grace, through faith, for works. Like, that was our motivation when we woke up in the morning, that today's a gospel day. God's going to use me in unity, to present the gospel, to be his witness. His witness to what? His witness to the gospel. That God loves you, and he proved it through the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. What if we all did this together? Man, how would that affect our families first, ourselves first? Let's start there. How would this affect ourselves first? How would this affect our families? How would this affect our neighborhoods our community, like what would Eagle River look like, Chugiak, Anchorage, Wasilla Palmer, just the, all of a sudden the state, like what would this look like? And so many of you guys, military and coming and going, and you left just like the early church did, and you're just bringing the gospel wherever you go. Like how powerful would that be? And if we did it in unity, and that is a vision I can get behind. That is a picture of the church. That is who needs church. We do. Because this can't happen without it. And this can't happen without each other. And so I just want to challenge us today as we leave. Where do we find ourselves? Are we find ourselves trying to lead, live this gospel plus life? It's all about the morals. It's all about morality. Live right. And again, yeah, we are to live holy lives. We're called to that. But that is not the author and the finisher of our faith. Is not morality. Are you living a gospel life? Or are you living a gospel plus life? And are you living your life in unity? Or is it just fighting for your rights all the time? Let's look inside first. Let's pray. Jesus. <laughs> God, 
I thank you that I don't have to be awesome. Because I am not, and I can't. I can't earn anything. God, thank you that you don't look at me, and, 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 and you're, not, you're not loving me because I've just done enough. You're not loving us because, well, we continue to be morally right people. God, even Peter says it himself, or James, I'm sorry, says it himself. He's like, look, you're trying to make people do something that you could never do, and that's never been done. God, I pray that we would live in that understanding. Yeah, we will never be morally just perfect to earn your love. Now, God, we fight to look more like you, but that is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that our, our desires would become your desires. But Lord, I pray that we would live a life of freedom, God, a life, a full life as you, as you quoted, to have a life and have it abundantly here on earth as we discover this gospel-only life. And Jesus, I pray that as we do that, that would have an effect on the people around us, effect on our families, and an effect on our, our roommates and our classmates and our coworkers, God. And that's the, the thing that they see, not living people trying to pretend that they're living perfectly, but people who are open and honest and, and, and admitting that they need Jesus in their lives each and every day. And God, as we do this, let us do this in unity. I pray that that would just be a staple, something that is said about who we are that we're known by it in our community, that we are known as being a people who are unified together, who care for each other and love each other. We ask all of this in your name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Amen.